What Elijah is saying to Ahab is this. Ahab, you thought you were done dealing with Yahweh. But I'm here to tell you that you are not done dealing with him. And he's not done dealing with you. First Kings chapter 17, last week we began this study of looking at the life and the ministry of the prophet Elijah, and we just began last week by setting a lot of context and background information just so that we can really understand the world in which Isaiah ministered and lived and stepped into in order to be this mouthpiece of God in such a powerful way. So last week we took a look at this darkness that had come over the land of Israel. The the spiritual high water mark had been less than 60 years ago, 58 years previous to this, was the spiritual high mark point of all of Israel's history. That point in in 1 Kings chapter 10, in which we read that Solomon, the son of David, the one whose heart was after God and none other, Solomon began his rule in a very good way. He began with a supernatural wisdom endowed by God and Israel had become what God had intended them to be, which was a light to all the world. So in chapter 10, we see the queen of Sheba coming and professing that it is because of your God that all of your subjects are happy and joyful. And this is a land of wisdom and great, great prosperity. And so Israel was that light that God had intended them to be. But then there's this major turning point at the beginning of chapter 11. Literally your entire Bible changes direction at First Kings chapter 11 because the very first verse of that chapter reads that Solomon loved foreign women and it goes on to tell us of how many wives he accumulated, how many concubines he accumulated, how he put his faith and his trust in horses and chariots and accumulated them as well and on and on we go. And so then Solomon ends his, rule, his reign very badly. His son Rehoboam begins even worse and within just a matter of days the kingdom is split into two and then Jeroboam takes the the throne in Israel the northern kingdom and from that point he establishes two golden calves for the the nation to worship and it goes downhill from there and we see this series of kings that were murderers and they come to the throne by killing somebody or they're treasonous or they're liars. They're just despicable people. And so then we come all the way down to Omri, whom we are told did more evil than anybody before him. And then his son even outdoes his father because his son is Ahab. And we're told that Ahab outdoes everybody in doing evil evil before the Lord. Ahab said in his heart, if you thought that Jeroboam was evil, just hang on to your hat because I'm going to show you what it means to disobey the Lord. And so Ahab marries this queen Jezebel, who is the princess of Tyre. And she is not only a Baal worshiper, she is a radical Baal worshiper. She's a priestess. She is intent upon converting the nation of Israel to solely and completely Baal worship and Asherah worship and eliminating Yahweh worship. And so they do this by force. All the prophets are put to death by sword. The prophets of Baal, the prophets of Asherah are on the official payroll of Israel. And so they are doing the the queen's bidding 
Uh, all those who, who might remain as true, authentic believers in Yahweh, we're told a little bit later in chapter 19 that there's 7,000, which by the way, 7,000 true believers in Yahweh might sound like a lot until we remind ourselves that this was a nation of millions. 7,000 true believers in a nation of millions is nothing. It is a minuscule, tiny remnant of true believers in Yahweh. Yet we're told that they are absolutely silenced. Uh, Elijah isn't even aware of their existence. Had God not told them that they were there, then they're, they're impacting the culture in no way. They're hidden, secret type believers. The, uh, the entire history, the memory of being worshipers of Yahweh is being erased from the culture. The altars are being torn down. This is the darkest day in all of Israel's history. And into this steps this man, Elijah, from seemingly out of nowhere. We're not told of what tribe he's from. We're not told of his lineage at all. Instead, he just sort of steps out of nowhere from this land across the Jordan, this wild, hilly, arid sort of land that was ruled by violent, wild animals. So this this man, Elijah, steps into this. We would picture him as someone who was... Darkened by the, by the sun, accustomed to being outside, sort of sinewy and stringy sort of guy, a guy who wouldn't hesitate to do battle with a coyote or a lion or a bear or whatever. And he steps into the scene, this, this man who is this country bumpkin, if you will, steps into the court of Ahab and Jezebel, these Baal worshipers, and he is there to tell them that they need to rethink their whole agenda here. And so we looked at him a little bit last week. We ended just by looking just briefly at his name and just briefly at where he was from and what type of man he would have been and some of the parallels between him and John the Baptist. We really didn't get very far into looking into Elijah himself, but that's where we'll pick up this morning and we'll continue here with verse 1. So once again, 1 Kings chapter 17, we read these words in verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And so that's about as far as we'll get today. But let's just back up just a step or two and let's revisit his name because his name is very significant and very important. His name, Elijah, or maybe uh, most likely more properly pronounced Elijah. But this man, Elijah, we talked about the meaning of his name. His name is my God is Yahweh or Yahweh or Jehovah is my God. We can see that. It's very simple to put together. We see the first two letters, E-L, and we're reminded of how E-L-L in the Hebrew means God. We think of Elohim or we think of Beth-El, Beth, the house of El, God, the house of God, Beth-El. We think of El as meaning God or Lord. We think of the last three letters, J-A-H or Yah or Jah, being a shortened form of Yahweh or Jehovah. And then that letter I right in the middle would be the Hebrew personal first person pronoun, my. So God or the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh is my God. So this man steps into the scene. His very name is a proclamation that is a rebuke against everything that's going on in Israel right now. You could not speak his name without saying everything that Jezebel and Ahab were there to stamp out, to squash. 
And so he steps into the scene. His name is the Lord is my God. We often we we know recognize we recognize that often biblical names have great significance and his name has tremendous significance because even by saying his name, they are proclaiming that this God that they have claimed is dead, that is no longer relevant, that is no longer relevant to the society. He is indeed not only alive, but very much relevant. We're going to think ahead just a moment to the post Mount Carmel incident, you know, the fire from the from heaven and the consuming of the offerings. And we think just ahead just a little bit to Israel's proclamation, the Lord, he is God, the Lord Yahweh, he is God. That's going to come up in the next chapter. But Elijah the Tishbite is one who speaks to us of, of his very name, the way that you would even address him cannot be denied that Yahweh is his God. This tells us, this informs us of just the way that we should live our lives, that those who know us, those who encounter us, even acquaintances in our life, should know one thing about us, and that is that we are Jesus followers, that we are Jesus worshipers. The way in which we live our life should proclaim that as clearly as Elijah's very name proclaimed that. Uh, we think back to Philippians. Remember when we talked about in Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or whether I hear about you that, that, or whether I'm absent, I hear that you are following Christ with one mind, one spirit. Remember all that? Remember the spider web analogy? How we could look across a field at somebody walking in the distance. They're walking across a field and they walk through a spider web. Remember this? And, you know, you start doing this to get the spider web off your face. Well, if you see that person from a distance, you have no idea what's going on. You think maybe that person has briefly lost their mind or something. You might want to call some people to come and get this person until you realize what just happened. Because you don't see the spider web. You just see how they're reacting to that. And the whole analogy of that was that that is how people should view our lives. We should make decisions. We should say things, we should do things, we should not say things and not do things that say to other people, that's odd, that's strange, until they make the connection, they're a Jesus worshiper, they're a Jesus follower. And so it is with with Elijah, his very name proclaims that. He says, again for verse 1, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, We don't know how he got access to Ahab. We don't know how he's in Ahab's presence. Here it is, this sort of country guy from on the other side of the Jordan just sort of shows up and here he is having a face-to-face conversation with the king of the land. We don't know how God brought this about, but we know it was no problem for God. But he's here in the presence of Ahab and he says to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel Lives. So let's think for just a moment about that. There's a couple things for us to break down in that phrase. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives. You notice there that Lord is all capitals, L-O-R-D. And that tells us that in the original Hebrew, then that, that was the personal name of God, Yahweh. And so what he says here is as Yahweh lives. So he, he starts right out of the gate with the reminder, I'm here to talk about Yahweh. I'm not here to talk about Baal. I'm not here to talk about Asherah. I'm here to talk about Yahweh. As Yahweh, the God of Israel, in case you've forgotten Ahab, Yahweh is the God of Israel, not Baal. Yahweh is the God of Israel. We are His people. This is His land, not Baal's. As the God of Israel lives. 
So just a little bit of background. We'll get into this later as we begin, as we begin to talk about the drought that Elijah proclaims. We'll talk about it more then, but just a little bit of an insight into Baal worship. Baal, of course, was the Canaanite god that the Israelites adopted as, their, as one of their own gods as they came into the land. But this god Baal, just a little bit about how the mythology around him played itself out. It went like this. Baal was the god of the storm and the god of fertility. So what that means is, being the god of fertility, that meant that he was the god of, of the fertility, not just of, of fields, but of people. And so being the god of the fertility of the fields and also the god of the storm meant that he was in control of the fertility, not just of people, but of fields. And in so doing, he was the god of the rain. He was the one who would bring the rain. Now, as we'll talk about next time, not next week, because next week is Resurrection Sunday, but next time we're in Elijah, we'll talk about the rainy season and the dry season in Israel. And how Israel is not like our climate in which we experience periods of rain and periods of not rain year-round. Israel experiences a period of, of a rainy season and a not rainy season or dry season. The rainy season was the season in which Baal was believed to be alive. And then at the end of the rainy season, when it entered into the dry season, it was believed that Baal died and Mot, who was the god of death, had defeated Baal. And Baal would then remain dead through the dry season, but then he would be raised back to life to begin the rainy season again. That was the, the Canaanite beliefs that the Israelites had adopted. So Israel, or I'm sorry, Elijah, as we'll see next time, Elijah comes to Ahab and makes this proclamation during the dry season. The time in which Baal worshippers would have believed that Baal was dead waiting to be resurrected back to life, and Mot, the god of death, was now ruling. And so into this context, Elijah steps into this and says, the Lord, the God of Israel, He lives. He doesn't die and come back to life. God didn't die on the cross. Jesus, the human Jesus, died on the cross. God, the deity, didn't die. So God doesn't die and come back to life. God lives. Yahweh lives. He does not have periods of inactivity or periods of death. And this is the whole thing. This was the whole issue in Israel right now was because people believed and they were taught that this God Yahweh that we used to worship, that we used to know, he's dead. If he ever lived, if he ever existed, he exists no more. He's dead. God, Yahweh, the God of Israel lives. And so what Ahab is saying, or what Elijah is saying to Ahab is this. Ahab, you thought you were done dealing with Yahweh. But I'm here to tell you that you are not done dealing with him. And he's not done dealing with you. You thought that you and Jezebel have put Yahweh completely out of all the dealings that you have to, to be concerned with. You've torn down his altars. You've killed his priests. Anyone who still believes in Yahweh won't say it out loud. You think that you no longer have to deal with the God of Israel. But I'm here to tell you, Mr. Ahab, that he's not done with you. And you're a long way from being done with dealing with Yahweh, the living God of Israel. You know, 
Millions of people today believe that they are done dealing with God. Believe that we have, through convincing our society of uh, this spontaneous creation of the universe, that that our universe just somehow came into existence, and life just somehow spontaneously began, and that life has on its own, without any sort of guidance or direction, has, has evolved to the point that it is now where human beings can be self-aware and self-conscious and we can meditate and contemplate things like, like quantum physics and higher mathematics and specialized medicine. And we've evolved to this point naturally. Life came about naturally. The universe came about naturally. Naturally we've come to this point by believing all of that we have convinced ourselves that we're done dealing with God. And that we no longer have to worry about what He might think of us or what He might say about our lives. And we're done with His morality. We're done with, with His view of right and wrong. Instead, we've replaced that with our own feelings, with our own desires, with our own sense of right and wrong, with our own sense of morality, with our own sense of fair play, with our own sense of tolerance. And by replacing His morality with ours, and by replacing His creation story with our evolution story, we therefore no longer have to deal with Him. But Elijah's message to Ahab is the same message that God has for us as a people today, as a culture today. You're not done dealing with me. You might think that you have created a way that you don't have to deal with me, but you're not done dealing Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. We invite you to visit our website where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth That Transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word.